listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, October the 20th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and for 24 years, we've been talking about here on KFUO, the difference between law and gospel. Now, why do we think there should be a real difference between law and gospel? Because these are two different teachings in the scripture. And sometimes people get really confused because the scripture itself seems to be saying that we are not saved by the gospel, but we are saved by the law. I'll give you a good example of that. It's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. The verse reads, And to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? You see, there's the big difference between law and gospel. Under the law, you don't go to heaven because you are disobedient. Well, it sounds like that's what this verse is saying, that it is the action of bad works that leads a person not to get into rest. What's Hebrews talking about? That they would not enter his rest. Well, what it's talking about is the people of Israel in the wilderness. They had gotten out of Egypt by God through the Red Sea. And then when they got to the promised land about, oh, two years later, they refused to enter it. Now, the spies that went in came back and said, these people are giants. We won't be able to overcome them, except for two men of faith, Joshua and Caleb. So what did God do? He sent the people back into the wilderness for another 38 years. So altogether, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because of their disobedience? Well, as a nation, Israel had made a good beginning. You know, it took a lot of faith to cross the Red Sea. Here's a big sea. And, and a lot of people I know when I was at the seminary, they, they thought it was like a, a little river of reeds and such. But recently on... One of the programs I was watching, it was talking about a plane that had crashed into the Red Sea. And it was so deep, and the Red Sea was so wide, it showed pictures of it, that, wow, you could understand that nobody could cross it. It was deep, it was wide, uh, the plane was at the bottom, and it took them a long time to bring up the parts to see why the plane had crashed. The point was, the Red Sea was quite a large sea. In fact, they said that that part of the sea where the plane had fallen had never been checked out as to depth and this sort of thing. So it took them a while to recover parts of the plane to find out why it had crashed into the sea. At any rate, can you imagine the people coming to the Red Sea? The Egyptians are coming after them, 
and the Israelites really start moaning because they're going to be killed by the Egyptians. And this Red Sea opens up. The Bible describes it as two large walls of water. And all, all you need to do is go to YouTube and type in Red Sea, and you'll see photos of it, how large it is. And so therefore, these two walls of water, it took faith to cross those walls because who knew whether the water would stay up. But Israel did cross over. Then they started complaining because it appears that the Egyptians were going to be chasing them through that dry ground with the two walls of water up. So what did God do? He waited until the Egyptian army had entered into the Red Sea and then brought the walls of water down and destroyed them. Well, you would think that from there on, the people would never sin. But it was a short time later, they began complaining that there was no water. So God had Moses hit a rock and gave them water. Then they were complaining there was no bread. So manna came down from heaven. Manna means, what is it in the Hebrew? And it was little flakes that were then made into bread. Each day for the 40 years, or the 38 years then, they received this manna until they got to the land of Canaan. But what happened when they got there? That all of the folks that had left Egypt who refused to go into the land of Canaan when the spies went in because of fear, they were told by God that they would not enter his rest. Canaan was the area of rest. So what happened was that the first generation of those who had left Egypt perished in the wilderness during those 40 years, except for two men of the faith, Joshua and Caleb. And that's what Hebrews is talking about. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we've got a real problem here. If disobedience is the way that we get to heaven, then why are we saying that we're not saved because of our sins? Well, Amos 5 talks about how even after they got to the promised land, wow, they turned justice to wormwood. This is Amos 5, verse 10. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Now, those were the prophets that God had sent to them because Israel had begun worshiping other idols. They were marrying people who did not believe in the true God. They trampled on the poor in verse 11. They exacted taxes of grain from them. And God says, you know, you have built houses 
of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many of you are your transgressions, how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous. You take a bribe. You turn aside the needy in the gate. So God urges them to seek good and not evil, that you may live so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. Hate evil and love good. Now, that certainly sounds like the law, that we are to hate evil things we do and love the good things we do, and then God will be with us. You see, that's why people get confused in the Bible, because it certainly sounds like you get to heaven by the good things that you are doing and not uh, for any other reason. And then you've got this passage from Hebrews that those who did not enter the rest was because they were disobedient. We've made a distinction a lot of times about how to get to heaven under the law and how to get to heaven heaven under the gospel. To get to heaven under the law, you better be obedient. And so these verses I'm reading sound like the people are not going to enter into rest because of their disobedience, because they were breaking the law. But what happens to the Reformation principle that we're not going to heaven because of obedience that we do, but because of the trust, the faith, the belief in the promises of the gospel. And that gospel is the forgiveness of sins, won for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. So how do you rectify these verses that sound like we're saved by obedience and that we're going to hell because of disobedience? Well, as I've said many a time, you can rectify apparent contradictions in the Bible by making use of the distinctions between law and gospel and looking at scripture, interpret scripture. So I want to read again from Hebrews, the verse we're having trouble with, verse 18 of chapter 3. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? But now listen to verse 19, the very next verse. So we see that they were unable to enter because of, now you're expecting the word because of their disobedience, but it doesn't say that. It says, we see then they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Okay, which is it now? Is it disobedience that keeps us from entering heaven? Or is it unbelief? The two seem to be different, but not in Christianity. In fact, 
starting an adult instruction recently at one of the four churches that I'm serving in central Illinois as they're calling for pastors, I was talking about the Ten Commandments, and I'm trying to make the distinction between the Christian view, the biblical view of the Ten Commandments, and every other religion. In every other religion in the world, outside of Christianity, they have a set of commandments. They have a set of rules. And insofar as you obey them, you are saved. And insofar as you disobey them, you are not saved. That's why many of their, what they call sermons, are about being better in God's sight. Christianity is quite different. We do not believe, believe it or not, that breaking the commandments is only a process of disobedience. We also believe that behind that disobedience is unbelief. That's really what the problem is. And, and therefore, when I teach the Ten Commandments, I make it clear that each of the commandments is really a gift from God to us. He gives us something. And I've mentioned this before on the program, but Adam and Eve, when they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they did not have God as their God. So are the commandments given to them and to us in order to make God our God? No. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, where the commandments are written, the first verse says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. See, God becomes our God, not because of our obedience, but because he decides to become our God and elects us as his children. This is a tremendous difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Now, you may be asking, what are you talking about? The commandments are gifts. Well, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, the gift is God himself. He declares that he is our God. What do we have to do to make him our God? Nothing. I feel sorry for those Christian denominations that when you ask their members, how do you become a Christian? They will quote like John 3:16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but be saved. And they say, see, there are two parts to your salvation. The first part God does, he gives his only begotten son. But the second part is something we choose to do. Namely, we choose to believe in the message of the gospel as though man himself makes that choice. But you see, man is an unbeliever. So an unbeliever would never make the choice to believe something that he doesn't believe in. I mean, that makes sense. For example, Nobody remembers the day they were born. The, the memory just simply isn't there that 
you come out of your mother's womb and you begin to get to know your mother and your father. No, that, that's too far back. In the same way, it's really rare that somebody can remember the time when they came to faith because that coming to faith could have occurred when they were a child, when they were baptized, because that means that the Holy Spirit not only gave them the forgiveness of sins, but also gave them himself. And with himself comes faith. If you don't think a baby can have faith, then you don't know the incident of John the baptizer leaping in the womb for joy when Mary, who was only pregnant for a couple of days with Jesus after Gabriel had met with her, had walked into the house of Elizabeth, namely John the baptizer's mother, when he was six months old in the womb. He leaped for joy, and that is because the Holy Spirit motivated him to know who Jesus was. And therefore, that's why in the wilderness, as he began his ministry, he talked about Jesus as the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Now, you can look at all of the commandments and find in them a gift. That was one of the lessons I had in adult instruction. The second commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The gift is he gives us his name so we can call upon him. Whether it's our Father who art in heaven or Jesus, the Redeemer, the Savior, whatever name he gives. Concordia Publishing House had a banner with the many names of God on it that God had given himself so that we could use it. The sin is not to use it for a reason for which he did not give it to us, like cursing, swearing, using witchcraft, lying, or deceiving. So when we take his name and misuse it, we're breaking not only the second commandment, but it's an act of unbelief not just disobedience. The third commandment, well, they could call on God, but could they hear God when they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Well, God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the Sabbath day is the day that God talks to us. It's called proper worship. And in a worship service, God is speaking to you whether it's in the sermon, whether it's in the hymns, whether it's in the liturgy, whether it's in the prayers, whether it's in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, God is speaking to you. And so therefore, when you reject worship, when you reject the third commandment about the Sabbath day, it's really an act of unbelief. You don't believe that you need to hear from God each and every week. In my sermons, I try and tell the listeners not only something they've never heard before, some insight from the text that is quite surprising to them, but also a comfort 
at the end of the sermon with the gospel alone being proclaimed at the end there. So the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. Well, what's the gift? Parents. Parents are the first defense against the devil in bringing up children in the love and the admonition of the Lord. Then the fifth commandment, thou shalt not kill. What's the gift? The gift is life. And particularly when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we are restored to that life that with Adam and Eve we lost in the Garden of Eden. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, is the gift of a spouse that is faithful. And then we have the commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Each of these have a gift of possessions and not having the problem of people coveting what we have. So there's no doubt that the Ten Commandments are definitely acts of unbelief. And that's why Hebrews makes sense. In Hebrews 3, verse 18, it says that people are not going to enter his rest, that's Canaan, because they were disobedient. But verse 19 clarifies so that we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You never do a sin without breaking the first commandment. Every commandment somehow breaks the first commandment because you set up another God. You take a look at the commandments and you decide, no, God is wrong. I'm going to correct him. And that's why you correct him with sin. And when you correct him with sin, that really is an act of unbelief. Therefore, how does God save people? He doesn't save you because he makes you a good person in the sense that you don't sin hardly very much at all. In fact, a United States survey by Ruth and McKinney found that 78% of the general public and 70% of church-going people believe that you can be a good Christian without attending church. But when you ask them for examples of what it means to be a good Christian, they give you works that you should be doing, like feeding the poor, visiting those in prison, clothing those who need clothing, housing those who are homeless, etc. Now, there's no doubt that God mentions that in the parable of the sheep and the goats. But very carefully, he makes a distinction between sheep that do those works and goats that also do those same works. Yes, unbelievers give money to the poor, feed them, house them, clothe them, visit them in prison. So why are they not saved if they're doing good things? Because God doesn't measure, measure a good thing by what it is, but rather 
by what motivates it. A lot of us can do good works because we want to look good in the eyes of others. That's sin, even doing the good work. But in Jesus Christ, what we have is faith from the Holy Spirit. So the Bible refers to the works of a Christian done in faith by the Holy Spirit as fruit of the Holy Spirit, not just good works. An atheist can do a outwardly good work, but his motivation is selfish. Only Christians are able to do good works with faith, and that faith is that they believe in the promises of Jesus Christ, that they are going to be saved, not by their works, but through faith. So the way the Bible has it is first comes faith given to you by the Holy Spirit. There are no works that you can do to get that faith. That faith is a gift from God. But once you have that faith, then what were good works in the eyes of others can become fruit of faith, fruit of the Holy Spirit, because now you're doing them with the motivation of being loving, being love with God. You may not recognize that distinction, but God can read your heart, even though you cannot. So, that's today's long gospel, where the Bible seems to say that we're not saved because of disobedience, but upon further reflection, it's because of that unbelief behind that disobedience, and through faith, we are saved. We'll be talking about that in another issue on tomorrow's long gospel. God bless you. Long Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.